Well, we're glad you're here this morning. We had a, a little bit of an unusual situation about 6.30. Matt Collins, who normally leads worship in here, said, I've got fever. I cannot lead this morning. So Isaac here got a text at 6.40, said, hey, you want to come lead 8 o'clock service? <clears throat> so, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Isaac. He'd probably appreciate lunch more than applause if you want to buy him lunch. I was super, super grateful because you're glad you didn't get that text, right? And uh, you, I know you didn't want me leading you, so really, really grateful for him uh, leading us this morning. And so that's why we sent, if you're over in North, you're having the full service streamed over. And so we don't normally do that, but this is, uh, we're flexing with some sickness this morning. So thanks for your flexibility. Hey, this week, um, I want to let you know that we have the equipping classes launching on Wednesday. That's the green in the middle of the slide there. You'll see the classes that are starting, and we want to invite you to look at those and see how might you benefit and grow in Christ with them. Our kids will be doing Truth Quest. Our junior high and senior high will be meeting at 6.30 on Wednesday night, so I invite you to come and share in one of those classes as well as next Sunday then, 9.30 and 11, we also have some opportunities for you to grow in Christ together. So I invite you to look at those, and if you'd like to see them more out in the courtyard, you can get one of these equipping brochures that tells about each of the classes, where they meet and when, and how you can register online. We'd love to have you apart. If you're new to the chapel, there's some connect cards in the seat back in front of you, simply an opportunity for you to share with us you're visiting. We'd love to follow up with you. If we can help you or serve you in any way, please don't hesitate to let us know as well. Is There's an opportunity for prayer requests or praise. That's really one of the joys for us is to pray for you as a body. So again, I encourage you, if that would serve, fill those out and we'll be praying for you. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5 as we look at the scriptures together this morning. One of the primary ways that we connect here at the chapel is in a family group. How many of you are actually in a family group? Can I see your hand? All right, so lots of you in a family group. If you're not, I invite you to find out how you can connect to one, what time of the week they meet. So there's lots of different times, different areas of town. But family groups often talk about what we talked about in the scriptures on Sunday morning. And we, I write each week some questions that are for application for family groups and for individuals to think through. And people harass me because the same question is always, the first question is always the same question. What was encouraging or challenging to you from this week's teaching? And I always ask that one first because I want us to know that this is not simply for something to think about. The scripture is intended to change us to encourage us in a direction or to what challenge us maybe because we're stuck in some way. We're not continuing to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So that question is always there. And I bring that up because as I was studying this passage, basically the message memo, the outline of the passage became how I would answer this for me if I was in family group, which I'm in a family group, but if I, if I was answering, here's how I would answer as we went through this text. And it hit, that, hit me that way because we're going to see in Mark chapter 5, our section today, Jesus encountering a dad. So this was very personal. As a father of six kids, as I went through this thinking, if this was me, would I be like this man? And how would I be like him? How would I not be like him? So I think if you're not a dad, this scripture will still speak to you. But as dads who are here this morning, I think you will especially be able to relate to what this guy experiences. Beginning in verse 21 is where we're going to start this morning. It says, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side... 
This is how Mark keeps moving us. He had been on this side of the Sea of Galilee, had gone over, and it was as they were crossing over to the other side that the boat had begun to sink and the disciples had panicked and cried out, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says, do you still have no faith because faith and fear don't mix? And he reveals himself to be one who has authority even over the wind and the waves. Well, they get to the other side, and the demoniac, the guy who is filled with many demons, who is totally uncontrollable, comes and throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus redeems that ruined life so that he is then seated in front of Jesus in his right mind and clothed. And he wants to, he wants to go with Jesus and declare the greatness of what Jesus has done, but instead of going with him, where does Jesus send him? Do you remember last week? He sends him home, sometimes the hardest place to go. He sends him home and says, you go home and declare of God's grace and mercy in your life. So I simply want to remind you, any of you go home, like to your house or home to work, or you go home last week and declare God's mercy and God's greatness in your life? Have you been silent all week? It's the reminder because we're here on the planet, redeemed and rescued, made new, in order that we would be proclaimers. But sometimes the weeks go by and we can go, man, I haven't really publicly declared God's greatness or mercy in my life for weeks now. Don't miss the opportunity that God is giving you. So, he goes home, he stays on this side, Decapolis, and they head back to the other side. The verse goes on to say, when they get there, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him, that's Mark 5's favorite word, implored him, begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. See, now if you're a parent, don't miss, don't make this a Bible story only. Imagine what you would be experiencing if it was your child at the point of death. He's on his knees begging, my little daughter's at the point of death, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And so immediately, as a dad, I find myself challenged by how the man pursues Jesus. It'd be easy to just run by those opening verses there, but don't miss what the man revealed in his pursuit of Jesus. I think his pursuit is characterized in four specific ways. First, that his pursuit is a determined pursuit. He's determined. How is his determination revealed in the text? Clearly, none of you have been in the back of a crowd trying to work your way to the front of a crowd. There's determination. People, Jesus has stayed on the bank because the crowds are pressing in. And so they're tight. They are pressing in on him. And Jairus is not jumping in the back. He is getting himself to the feet of Jesus. His pursuit of him is determined. It's not casual. How about yours? Is your pursuit of Jesus casual? Does it fit in when it's easy in your schedule? Are you determined? I'm going to be with Jesus on a daily basis. I'm going to make sure I get there. Sometimes we're super casual in our pursuit of Jesus. Second, he comes humbly. His humility is revealed on his knees, begging. This is not usual for most men. 
Men don't ask for directions, <laughs> let alone on their knees begging. But there's a lot at stake, right? This is, his girl's about to die. But men who often pride drives, is there, any, is there humility? Are you ever on your knees before the Lord? Ever? Reflection of death. Ever begging him? Or is that beneath you? See, that's, that's challenging. The man's pursuit determined his humility, and then really challenged by this, that his humility is expressed publicly. I, I'm aware that, a, that some of you, as I just asked the question, you ever been on your knees begging the Lord? that you may be willing to do that privately. But there are, th there is, there are things that, that we're willing to do pub privately that we are often reluctant to do publicly. I know this. I'm in a family group. And I'm confident that the guys in our family group pray privately. But oftentimes when we get into family group, then publicly there's 12 people or 20 people in the room, or when we gather for corporate worship and we invite, would somebody lead us in prayer? Those who would be willing to do so privately are like, ooh, uh, that kind of, that, that's scary for me. I, I'm not willing to do that publicly. See what I'm saying? I, I am challenged by this guy is not chicken to bow and to beg publicly, because I think oftentimes we are inhibited to declare our dependence and our need for the Lord publicly. We keep it private. Maybe that's fear. Maybe that's pride. It's not present in this guy. His situation is such that he's gone Public, private, I'm on my knees, I'm begging. And then, did you notice that he comes declaring his belief publicly as well? That he says, please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. He, he is willing to not only publicly humble himself, but he is willing to publicly declare what he believes. But we just talked about this, to go home, and really, all of us have opportunity to publicly declare what we believe. Some of you had opportunity this past week and you, you chickened out. You call yourself shy because that sounds better. <laughs> I was just shy. No, I was chicken. I've chickened out. That have opportunities just to declare what we believe publicly. But because oftentimes we're afraid to humble ourselves publicly, we're afraid to declare what we believe publicly. See, uh, are you in the text now? Challenged already to say, why am I so, see, some of us ought to be asking ourselves this morning already, why am I so afraid to publicly declare what I believe? Why do I chicken out? And, and bigger than that, as I think, as you think about your pursuit of Jesus, which of these characterize you? Are you determined in your pursuit, humble in your pursuit, public in your pursuit? The guy sets an example for us that is challenging. And so as he's there on his knees, publicly not only humbling himself, but publicly declaring what he believes. If you'll come, if you'll lay your hands on her, she'll live. What's Jesus do? What's it say? Verse 24, I believe. What's it say? What's he do? 
Yeah, don't miss this. Don't presume. Well, of course. No, this is a great moment. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing in on him. You see, the crowd makes a difference here. Jesus could have easily said, could have he not said, uh, I'm sorry, Jairus, but look at all these other people. I have plenty of other people here that need me. That's why they're here. I could simply stay here and do what needs to be done here. Why would I go to your house? So don't, don't just read right past the fact that Jesus had plenty of opportunity with the crowd to fill his day meeting their needs, but he goes. And, and, and I am greatly encouraged by Jesus' responsiveness to the individual need. Sometimes we, we believe this lie. Well, God, God has the whole world to look after. I'm just one little life. Yeah, you are one little life, and Jesus cares about the individual. The scripture declares he knows the number of hairs on your head. I, I'm encouraged by how Jesus is responsive. He doesn't let the crowd overwhelm for the individual. Challenged by that as well. Because all of us can allow our busyness to cause us to move past. You ever missed the individual in your life because your day was so full? You ever missed the individual because the needs of so many? So this is this is encouraging that Jesus, in the midst of many, in the midst of the, of the crowd, he listens and he responds to the individual. So, uh, again, put yourself in the text. If, if hopelessness is a zero and full of hope is a 10, where is Jarius at this moment? Where is he? Yeah, I think absolutely, I agree with you. I think he's at a 10 because he was like, man, I didn't know if I would find Jesus. I found him. I don't know if I'd get in front of him. I got in front of him. I didn't know if he'd come with me and he is coming with me. If there is a moment where Jairus is like, wow, there's hope. I think we're going to get deliverance here. It's right here. Been there where you think, wow, God, you're coming through. And then... A circumstantial hand grenade gets thrown on your hope. That's what happens for Jairus. It says, verse 25, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd. See, she's one of the many who was there because she needed healing from Jesus. She came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had proceeded from it, had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing on you? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. The woman, fearing and trembling of, where, of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him. She tells him the whole truth, the whole 12-year story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It's a great encounter that we're going to look at in detail next week. But I want you to think about that moment in Jairus' life. What's he thinking? I was first. <laughs> That's exactly what he's thinking. Hey, uh, I understand, but you've got to take your turn. Have you never had someone butt in line and, and it bothered you? 
you got over into the lane because everybody had to go in, and that turkey drives the whole way up there and then cuts it. You were mad at him, weren't you? And it, and it wasn't your daughter's life who was on the line here. You see, I don't want to paint Jerry's in a bad picture. I don't think he's mad at the woman. I think in some sense he's going, wow, see, this is, this is why my hope was so high that he can heal just like he did there. But, but, but where did it, the text say his daughter was? At the point. That's not much room for error. He, she is at the point of death. So, could we like get a rain check on this? Seriously. If this is your daughter, every second the woman talks about her 12 year ordeal. Could we walk and talk? That, I, that's what, when I was in the text, I'm thinking that's what I'd say. Could we talk about this as we go? Uh, go in. He says, go in peace. And he's just, just absolutely stirred up. Stirred up. I'm challenged and encouraged by Jesus' willingness to be interrupted. And you realize this word, interrupted? That's our perspective. We see life in terms of plans and interruptions to plans because we're on a timetable and we've got an agenda. And so we see our plans and we see interruptions and and Jairus' plan was working. He had found Jesus, he had got in front of Jesus, and Jesus was on his way. And this lady, as good as the need was, was interrupting the plan. God ever been slow, in your opinion? You spoke for many of us. (laughs) Yeah, we think, come on, Lord. Act, move. So let me remind us of something. This is what I try and remind myself of. God is eternal. No beginning, no end. So if he is eternal, what's slow? A day or a thousand years? What's the scripture say? It's the same to him. It's the privilege of being the eternal one. And so uh, I am both encouraged because God is not bound by time, and I'm challenged by his willingness to be interrupted. (laughs) Challenged because sometimes I think, I got the plan, Lord, and and you gotta you gotta learn to keep up. (laughs) And that's foolishness. I acknowledge that's foolishness. Until you're a dad and your daughter's at the point of death. And Jesus has stopped walking toward your house. Come on! See, that's real life. Some of you know what it's like to be in the hospital room or to be by the bedside of someone you love and you're going, God, come on, work, please. He seems slow. Now, I think Jairus went from here, 10 in hopeful, to 
hopeful, but frustrated by time to the next verse. Verse 35. While Jesus is still speaking, speaking to who? The woman. They came from the house of the synagogue official. Plural there. They. Not sure who, how many. They came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter's died. Took too long. She was alive. She's dead. Why trouble him anymore? Folks, this is a super, super powerful verse. Because it cuts to the heart of what we really believe. This cuts to the heart of what we believe and what we don't believe. When they say, why trouble the teacher anymore, what are they saying? That the window of opportunity for the miraculous has slammed shut. As long as she was living, breathing, sick as she could, there was a chance, there was hope that he would come, lay his hands on her, and heal her. But that opportunity has gone. Why trouble him anymore? He's out of his league and we're out of minutes. Isn't that what they're saying? Can you relate to that? Believing something and then circumstances change. And the hopeful give up hope. It's too late. It's where they are. Because I know the rest of the story, I'm greatly challenged and convicted by the boundaries that I have placed on God's power. I know this is a lot of words here. Make sure you understand. The, the boundaries that I have placed on God's power. What was the boundary they had placed on God's power? Can you think and write at the same time? What was the boundary? He could heal, he can't raise from the dead. And therefore, because the boundary was on God's power, there are gaps in their faith. He can heal. If you come and lay hands on her, she'll live. But he doesn't raise from the dead. Therefore what? What did they say? Why bother him anymore? See, I'm convicted because I know what it's like to have prayed and prayed and then determined that that which I was praying for had become hopeless and stopped praying. My version of why bother the teacher anymore. I doubt I'm alone in that. Maybe you stopped because you ran out of endurance. I've asked, tired of asking. Maybe you stopped because the situation got worse. You were prepared to deal, to pray for healing on this level, but the sickness got worse, and you just get, it's getting worse. Why bother the teacher anymore? You see what I'm saying? You see, we'd, we, we'd like to, to think that we have this full measure of, I have faith that God can do anything. And we think that, and then something happens with our family, and circumstances kind of punch a hole in our faith. Or we get a, an opportunity to, to speak, to speak up, <laughs> and we chicken out. Fear sets in. 
God can do anything, but I'm scared, and so we don't speak. Or to heal. I can only speak for my journey. I know my journey, and I've shared with you. In my journey growing up, I learned a lot about the Scripture, but somewhere along the line, the people who were teaching me had concluded that Jesus did this, but God doesn't do this anymore. So we could pray that God would strengthen sick people, and we could pray that God would comfort sick people, but the people in my life weren't praying that God would heal sick people. There was a hole in their faith. Because they would say, you don't think God can do anything? Yeah, I think he can. He just doesn't do that anymore. There's a hole in their faith. Or maybe you thought, oh, I can pray that God would hit other, heal other folks, but now it's your world, it's your life. You just can't pray. Why bother the teacher anymore? where the cancer went from stage two to stage four. It's obviously hopeless. Hopeful turned hopeless. You understand what I'm saying? See, I am greatly challenged by what happens in this text because I've seen it in my own life and I'm certain it happens in yours that hope goes here because of circumstances that change. Whether it's healing or witnessing or learning, even believing that God would raise. See, th this will challenge you. This isn't theoretical. This is really me in the hospital with a little baby who's died. Present day. Who I had been blessed to pray with the parents for weeks for healing. And the baby hadn't been healed. The baby was now dead. And the Lord brought this passage to my mind. When God raises the dead, And I, I just chickened out. That's all I can say. I excused it under the, well, I didn't want to make it harder on the parents, but I just chickened out to simply say, Jesus, you said no to this point, but I didn't ask you in this moment. You've raised other children from the dead. It's just too far. You see, and some, of your, some of you are like now going, your circuits are smoking a little bit. Like, I don't know what I think about that. I understand. I've been there. Not theoretically, really. I was afraid to ask publicly. See, our, our faith ends up with, with holes in it. Whether it's that or leading, there's all sorts of things. Can, hey, Frost, can you throw that blue ball to me there? Yeah, thanks. I don't really like to think of my faith like this, but this is what I'm trying to demonstrate to you. I'd like to think of my faith as a hardball. <laughs> but circumstances over the years in my life this isn't theoretical. This is all real life. This is Doug Rutt in front of you and my faith. Just circumstances at times realize that, yes, I believe that God can do anything, but in real life, chickened out. I got scared. I gave up. I got tired. It seemed like nothing was happening. God was just too slow. I just gave up. My hardball faith has been proven more often than I'd like to think was more of a wiffle ball faith. 
So this, this passage speaks to my faith and what I'm prepared to trust God for. Because what happens next, so good. Jesus overhearing what was being spoken. Does that still happen, by the way? <laughs> How often? You know, this is, I know this is a silly reminder, but I, as I read that, I thought, hmm. Yeah, there are no private conversations. He's always overhearing what I'm saying, even if it's in my head to myself. Overhearing what's being spoken. He, he hears this, why bother the teacher anymore? And if you can just imagine, they've pulled him aside. They said, uh, I don't know how to tell you, Jarius, but your girl... She died. No need for him anymore. Jesus steps into the conversation. Oh, hey, 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 heard what you were saying. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. Hey, I can see what's rising up in your heart. I can see hope diminishing. Don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Fear and faith, oil and water, they don't mix. Your fear is ruining. It's causing your faith to disappear. No fear, only believe. Don't let the whole happen. So... Man, in that, in that moment, I recognize how frequently I default to fear and not faith. How I think, <laughs> I'm going to trust the Lord. And then fear sets in. I mean, I just, I love Jesus stepping in. He goes, don't, no, don't let that. It's really, it's back in the boat again. Don't you care? Whoa, no, don't go there. I care for you. I love you. I have authority, all authority. Trust me. Where's your faith? And I recognize uh, fear is our default. When circumstances go hard when things don't change like we hope fear is our default it's where we go faith is never our default faith is learned and for all of us it's learning as circumstances arrive in our lives in our days that we don't default oh that's where no i'm going to learn to trust why we often say here at chapel, we don't need more faith, we need faith more. When fear is where we would default to, no, no, trust in you, Lord. No boundaries in what you can do, and therefore, <laughs> plug the hole, no gaps. So, only believe, Jesus says, and then, watch, he says, <clears throat> He allowed no one to accompany him. In other words, this crowd that had been following, he says to them, I don't know how he says this, but he goes, y'all, you can go home now. <laughs> but you, 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 he points to Peter, James, and John, you three, you come along, the rest of y'all, y'all go home. He only allows those three to come. And they came to the house of the synagogue official. And he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. They're there, the friends, they're there experiencing mourning with the reality that a 12-year-old little girl, that should never happen. A 12-year-old girl's dead. They're weeping and wailing. And he says, why commotion? Why make the commotion weep? The child's not died. She's sleeping. And what'd they do? What's it say? 
Make sure. Are they going, ha, good one, Jesus? Is that a knee slap laugh? No, no, no. That's a, that's a definite scoffing, mocking. What? What do you know? Uh, come on, man. We know the difference between sleeping and dying. She's dead. Jesus said, she's sleeping. And he kicks them all out. And he grabs dad, mom, Peter, James, and John, and the six of them go into the room with the sleeping girl. Now, before you go there, I just got to say, I'm super encouraged by the courage of Jesus to just confront the crowd, to live out, again, his faith publicly. There's so much in this encounter that screams being willing to live by faith and conviction courageously publicly. Are you catching that? Man, is your faith being lived out courageously publicly? Are you an undercover believer? Jesus says, nope, she's sleeping. So the six of them are in the room. Jesus walks over to where the child is, takes her hand, and says, Talithakum, little girl, get up. And immediately, the, now is she dead? Is she, has she been dead? Yes. Don't, don't, miss, don't be confused. Oh, so she was just sleeping? No. Why does Jesus say she's just sleeping? Because people get up from their sleep. Right? right? You take a nap and you get up? If you don't, that's different. That's not a nap. So he, little girl get up, and, and immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Why? Yeah, because it's funny. You think, because she's alive. And Mark says, for she was 12 years old. <laughs> what? What? I think if it was 2017, it said, immediately the girl got up and began to text, because that's what 12-year-olds do. <laughs> no, I think what's happening here is, it's not that little girl got up and she who was not breathing started to breathe, but laid there. So she was alive, but in a coma. She, getting up and walking is demonstration that she is fully healed. You with me? Get it up. Wow. My little girl's not, not even sick anymore. She's well enough to walk. Uh, and then it says they're completely astounded, which is so right on. I mean, even when we believe and then God does the miraculous, we don't go, yeah, I, I knew. I knew. My faith was strong. Yeah, you still, wow, what a great God. My girl is living. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. Isn't that funny? Because who knows about this? Yeah, well, we all do. <laughs> hey, don't tell anybody. Well, let me write that down and publish it. <laughs> and he said that something should be given her to eat. He goes mother on them. Hey, don't forget to feed the girl. <laughs> Death creates quite an appetite. Uh, what's happening? Why is he saying give her something to eat? And she's well. She's not just living. She's well. And he's saying, oh, I don't feel like eating. Uh, she's not just breathing. She's walking. And she's well enough to eat. This is healing full. Right? So, in the midst of the, some of the funniness of that text, what I am obviously so greatly encouraged is that nothing, nothing, not, not just theoretically now, really, really, life of a dad, life of a family, really for a 12-year-old, really for a person that's died, nothing is impossible for God. 
And so I want to... I just want to speak to our wiffle ball faith because we all got it. (laughs) Nothing is impossible with God. That's why this couplet that I continue to share around here, so important. I want to learn to live believing that he can. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. He can do the miraculous. I believe that he can. If I believe that he can, what will I do? I'll ask that he will. Lord, <laughs> uh, she's dead. Will you please come? Because you could speak to her and wake her up. I, I don't know if you're challenged by that. I'm greatly challenged. There's just certain things I never conceive of in faith. And I trust. I'm not demanding, I'm asking. Because I'm asking, I'm going to trust what he does, and I'm going to demonstrate that I'm trusting by my praise. These four statements so marked my walk with Christ these days. My prayers, my engagement in life. I'm going to believe that he can, so ask that he will. So joyfully, joyfully privileged to simply ask, believing, and trusting. Not figuring out, oh man, if, he, if he's not going to do it, I better not ask, because that might make us all look bad. I'm going to believe and ask and trust and praise. Because he is the God of the impossible. So I want us to close declaring that. But before we declare that together, I want to first invite you to consider. So you look at this wiffle ball. Is there something somewhere in your life where you had once trusted the Lord, once asked of him, but either because of lack of endurance or situations changing or circumstances getting worse, hope has diminished and you've just stopped. You've given up. I want to invite you to bow with me and simply declare together with me to the Lord, Lord, I want to confess that when I do that, I am absolutely foolish. Foolish to give up on you, the God of miracles. Would you tell him, Lord, I believe. I'm not demanding. I believe you can. So I'm going to ask again that you will. Renew my faith. Grow my faith. Faith more. Let faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord, I
faith arise in spite of what I see Lord I But help my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Faith arise. Let faith arise. For my champion's not dead, he is alive. He knows our every need. He already knows my every need And surely He will come and rescue me God of miracles come We need Your supernatural love To break I hope as you go today, you'll go with the confidence your God is alive. Nothing is impossible. Believe that he can. And do what? Ask that he will. Trusting him and praising him no matter what. God, thank you that you are great and that you are good. You are living and active, working for your great glory. And we pray that you would increase our faith to the praise of your greatness publicly in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless.